Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, before we launch in this morning, just want to make a, a few comments. My name is uh, Craig Peters. I'm one of the teaching pastors at uh, Maranatha Bible Church and uh, thankful to be able to be here. Uh, I want to thank you as a church uh, of Mission View for your prayers and your support for Stephen Land during this time. You know over the next uh, number of months, uh, I will be down here. Uh, probably about six of the eight weeks I will be down here as uh, Steve is doing uh, some things in Houston and some trial testing and everything. I want to thank you as a church for rallying. Uh, this is what church is all about. It is about believers in Christ coming together and uh, supporting and uplifting those who are in need uh, of sharing Christ with others. And um, I am grateful for this ministry. Um, and so continue to be praying for Steve and Leanne. Uh, continue to be praying for the tests. And uh, shoot them a note. Uh, give them a call. Well, sometimes they want to call, sometimes they don't. But, uh, but shoot them a note just to say, we love you, we love you, we love you. Uh, there's not a person in here this morning that doesn't appreciate, uh, I'm not talking about an email, I'm not talking about a text, I'm talking about a real life letter. Do you remember those? A real life letter that you get in the mail just to say we love you and we care for you. And so uh, thankful, thankful that, um, that we can pray and lip, lift up Steve and Leanne. So thankful for his friendship and uh, just a great shepherd, a great leader, a great friend, and uh, just uh, love you, brother. Love you, brother. So um, uh, the sad thing is my wife will not be able to be with us over the next uh, two months. Uh, got a picture of her here, though, and uh, that's not her. Uh, that's Peter. Uh, here's my wife, my smoking hot wife. We have been uh, married for 27 years, and uh, she has a lot of responsibilities at Maranatha Bible Church in our children's ministry. But uh, as you can see, she's looking up at me and saying, what a hero. What a good-looking man. And so, uh, so thankful for her 27 years. So uh, just to let you know that uh, I am married and uh, happily married, too, and so uh, thankful. I want to just take a minute and, again, pray before we launch in this morning, uh, that, that God would not just capture our attention today, but that he would capture our heart. There's things that all of us are dealing with. Uh, there's things that every single one of us in here, we're ready to crash and burn at any given time. And yet that song we just sang, that he never leaves my side. He, he is always there. That I can depend upon him when it seems like the rug is pulled out from underneath me and I don't know what to do or where to go, I have a Savior that understands and walks the road with me. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the privilege of knowing your word. And I pray this morning you would open up our eyes. You would open up our hearts. Lord, the things that we are troubled by, the things that we are broken by, the things that we have going on in our life, nothing is too big or too small, Lord, that you can't handle. Nothing takes you by surprise. And so, Lord, as we walk this road, this life, I am grateful that we do it not alone, but we do it because of who you are and who you are in our lives. And that we would gladly grab your hand and walk the road with you. And so, Lord, just uh, remind us today of the joy that you've put before us. My joy in you makes you complete. Remind us today that we are not alone. And remind us today that we are 
we always, always have a second chance because of your great grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a little kid, uh, I was always amazed at uh, about three times a year, the Sears catalog would show up. How many of you remember the Sears catalog? I'm, I'm dating myself here. And so about three times a year, it would just mysteriously appear on our front porch. And I loved it because it always came right at the end of October, just as you were thinking about Thanksgiving, just as you were thinking about Christmas. I love this two-inch catalog that pretty much had anything and everything you could ever want and desire in your entire life. But for a kid somewhere between the ages of 7 and 10, I could have cared less about all the things that the catalog had except the 10 to 15 pages of nothing but toys. And I would sit for hours and I would look glossy page after glossy page after glossy page of toys. And I would play this game. I would act like I won a contest. And the contest was I could pick one toy from each page. And so for hours I would sit and I would think, what do I want more than anything else? That was a tough decision as a kid. You didn't want to make a rash decision. You didn't want to make a quick decision. And I would sit there and I'd think, oh man, the toys that I could have, one on each page, what do I want more than anything else? Tinker toys, Lincoln logs, Hot Wheels with a Hot Wheel track, Rock'em Sock'em robots, a gun with a matching holster, and a canteen you could actually drink out of. Oh man, those were incredible toys. And so, at the beginning of December, my parents would always say, Craig, listen, you can pick one toy from all of those pages from the Sears catalog. One toy that you would want more than anything else. And I'd think, oh man, that's a tough decision to make. I think back on that now and I think, yeah, it was a tough decision and a tough question to answer when you're talking about toys. But that's a question that deals with life. What do we want more than anything else? It's a tough decision. It's a question we don't want to answer lightly. It's a question that we don't want to make a rash decision on. What do you want more than anything else? else. Meet me, if you would, this morning in Luke 22. As you have been covering this series of Overcome, you've been focusing on the life of Peter, uh, the disciple. And I think if we were to ask Peter this question, what do you want more than anything else? And we were to ask that question early in his life when he was a fisherman, early in his life when he had just made a commitment to follow Jesus, how he would answer that then as opposed to when his life was dramatically changed after Pentecost, how would he answer that question, what do you want more than anything else? If you took some time and you waded through the Gospels and you looked at the disciple Peter's life, uh, you would have to, after looking at his life, you would sum up, you would conclude that after looking at Peter's character, you would conclude and summarize some of these words would represent him in his early days. 
cocky, arrogant, strong-willed, edgy, overconfident, impulsive. Peter was a man of great contrast. I do believe that Peter um, wanted to do well, and he wanted to do well for the Lord. But he failed continually in leaning on his own efforts, leaning on his own ability, leaning on his own strength. Anyone ever do that here? That we lean too much on our own abilities and our own strength. Let me, let me give you a few examples as we lead into Luke 22 this morning. The first thing we see in the early days of Peter is that he lacked discernment. How many of you here have ever lacked discernment? About four of you. The rest of you are liars. We have all lacked discernment. Uh, when you thought 16, 17, 18 years of age, and you thought you knew it all, and your parents would give you some kind of advice, and you're like, I got it. I, got, I can handle it. I got this. And we thought we knew everything there was to know about the world before us. And then we made some foolish decisions. And we said some things, did some things that we thought, oh man, that was boneheaded. I should have never done that. I should have never said that. And we lacked discernment in our lives. Interesting enough, as your parents grew older and as you grew older, you realized how wise your parents were. And it didn't just happen overnight because we were growing up and we were growing in discernment. We see Peter in the early days of his life lacking discernment. In Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23, uh, it tells us that from this time on, Jesus begins to share with his disciples what is going to happen to him in Jerusalem. That he is going to uh, suffer many things in the hands of the elders and the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law. And that he's going to be killed, and yet he will rise three days later. And Peter, <laughs> impulsive Peter, pulls Jesus aside. Do you remember this? Peter pulls... <laughs> Jesus, the creator of the universe, uh, the savior of the world, uh, the one who will redeem mankind from their sins, Peter pulls him aside and basically says, no, Jesus, not on my watch. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. And what is Jesus' response to Peter's lack of discernment? Uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man in mind. In Luke 22, verses 33 and 34, again, we see that Peter is full of himself. We all have been full of ourselves at some time or another. And Jesus, again, is telling the disciples what is going to happen to him. And Peter replies, Lord, I, I am ready to go to the death for you. I'm ready to go to prison for you. Lord, I will protect you. Lord, I will surround you. Uh, Lord, I will risk my life for you. I will make sure of it. I, 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 me, me, me. I will do this. I will go to the death for you. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. I can imagine Peter thinking, or even saying, that's just not going to happen. There's no, no possible way that is going to happen. We see this lack of discernment in the early days of Peter. Where he is overconfident instead of being an overcomer. 
We also see in the early days of Peter that he lacks devotion. He lacks devotion. What's interesting, if you drop down to verse 45 of Luke 22, Jesus is praying. We remember this. Jesus is praying. He goes to the Mount of Olives. Uh, the disciples are, are stones throw away. Um, he has told the disciples, sit, uh, listen, uh, pray, be alert. And he goes off to the side and he prays to the Father and he is pouring his heart out to the Father saying, if it might be your will, let this cup pass before me. Let this suffering, let this death, let this death pass before me. And he gets done praying and when he comes back, what are the disciples doing? Tell me. They're sleeping. They, they are sacked out. Jesus in one of his greatest moments. And here the disciples are sleeping. Jesus is struggling in prayer. Peter can't even stay awake during a critical point of Jesus' ministry. And this is the same guy that says, I'll go to the wall for you. I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. But he can't even stay awake while Jesus goes and prays. And we'll see here in a moment that while Jesus is surrendering to the authorities, Peter is denying Jesus instead of fighting for him. Peter, like many of us, um, in the early days, and maybe even now, Peter's a work in progress. How many of you still, after all these years, you feel like you're a work in progress? I, I feel like after 30 years of ministry, I, I still feel like I'm a work in progress. Uh, we, we lack discernment. We lack a devotion. Uh, it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found himself asleep. Peter is a person who lacks devotion. So it's in Luke 22, verse 54, that we're going to take a look at this morning. To me, this is the turning point, the, the tipping point. This is the breaking point and the wake-up call for Peter as he shifts from being overconfident to being an overcomer. This is a point of brokenness that God brings into Peter's life through the denial of Jesus. And it causes Peter to be so impacted by this that his life is changed. We always say this, God often brings us to the, a point of brokenness in order that he might provide a breakthrough. God often brings us to a point of brokenness in order that he might provide a breakthrough in our lives. This, to me, this passage this morning is a critical passage. It is the tipping point for Peter in his life of whether he will continue to stay overconfident or he will one day be an overcomer. Let's read of Peter's denial of Jesus in Luke 22, verses 54 to 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing Jesus into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, uh, th This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I, do not, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the sayings of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's interesting, as I was looking at this passage this week, there's a progression here. That we see Peter at the fire. Moments later, he is under fire. And when he gets to the, into the book of Acts and after Pentecost, he is on fire for the Lord. But the first thing that we see in this passage is that Peter followed at a what? Tell me. At a distance. He followed at a distance. And I always ask the question, why? Why would Peter follow at a distance? This person who said, I will go to the death for you. Uh, I will, I will uh, go to prison for you. Why is he following at a distance? I, I believe that he's following at a distance because his mindset is, I'm not sure if I want to get involved here. I'm afraid that I may be arrested as well. So he follows at a distance. This is a critical time in Peter's life in determining whether he's just going to talk the talk or walk the walk. This is a critical time in Peter's life as to whether or not he's just going to feed people words or he's going to step up and by his actions and commitment live and honor his Lord. So he lags behind. He follows at a distance curious as to what's going on. I do know the moment that we follow at a distance with Jesus, we, we begin to compromise a genuine and authentic relationship with him. Following Jesus at a distance, at, at arm's length. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but how many of you have followed Jesus at a distance? How many of you have robbed yourself of a close, personal relationship with him? That you find yourself compromising these days? Following Jesus at a distance is at the heart of every fall. Following Jesus at a distance is at the heart of every compromise in our life. Someone told me this. I've never forgotten it. We are always the happiest when we're closest to the Lord. And always the most miserable when we're furthest away. And I think all of us would say, I remember those times in my life where I was following Jesus so close. So close. It's hard to stand for Jesus when we're following at a distance. So, well, what do you mean follow at a distance? I think sometimes, even in my own life, I tend to follow Jesus at a distance. I am not in the Word of God as I should be. I follow at a distance. Now, I'm not in church regularly. Well, I am, but maybe you aren't, but I am. The, our current generation says if they come to church once or twice a month, they're regular attenders. To me, that says you're following at a distance. We follow at a distance when we're not praying. We follow at a distance when, when we are not fellowshipping with other believers in Christ. We're, fel we're following at a distance when we're not giving to the work of the Lord. We're following at a distance when when we have sacrificed our first love and let something else get in the way. 
And then all of a sudden we wake up to the sober reality of why does life seem to stink these days? Why does life seem to be so miserable? Because I've been following like Peter at a distance. And something has to change. Are you willing to follow Jesus at a distance? The one who loves you, the one who sacrifices life for you, the one who calls you to his very own, the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Are you good with that at following at a distance? I heard the story of a little boy that climbed into bed one night and in the middle of the night he fell out and his mom came and she said, what happened? And he responded, well, I, I think I stayed too close to the place where I first got in. And I think that's the same reason we follow Jesus at a distance. We stayed too close to the place that we first got in. Are you following Jesus at a distance? Or are you so close to him, you can hear the still small whisper of I love you. I am with you. I will walk this road with you. The second thing we see in this passage is that he sat among them. <laughs> Peter sits among the crowd. You say, well, so what? But this is the very crowd that probably brought Jesus in to have him arrested. He's sitting with them. This is the very crowd that uh, 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 probably hours later will be chanting, crucify him, crucify him. He's sitting with this crowd. And yes, Peter is the only disciple that is around right now. Uh, everyone else has fled. But what good is he being there if he's just one of the crowd instead of standing out from the crowd? Peter does this. Now, he, here is the denial. Peter first denies ever knowing Jesus. Woman, I do not know him. He was ashamed to identify himself with Jesus when the pressure and the tension was on. Aren't you one of him? Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter says, I do not know him. He does not identify himself with the one that will in time die for Peter. He denies him. A second, Peter denies being a follower of Jesus. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Aren't you a follower of Christ? Man, I, I am not. And third, he denies that even, he's even from Galilee. Now this is interesting. Because it, we tend to just kind of gloss over some things in scripture. But the last account here, somebody says, um, aren't you a Galilean? Did, didn't you hang with Jesus? You say, well, so what? A Galilean had an accent. He gave himself away by his accent. Someone from Galilee was seen as someone who was uncultured or um, poor speaking or had a tendency to pronounce words that would be uh, spoken differently in Jerusalem. It would be like somebody who might have a southern drawl. So uh, we see here, this person says, you're a Galilean, you, you spent time with him. His accent gave him away. You said, well, how do you, how do you know that? Well, this is where Scripture is so important because in Matthew 26, verse 73, it says, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. 
He then began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, saying, I don't know the man. So I don't know if you have this. We had this at our church. It's kind of a greet and grin time, you know. Hey, take a moment, turn around, say hi to someone, greet and grin. Well, we do that at our church, and last Sunday, it was one of the few Sundays I don't preach, I turned around and I shook hands with this couple, and the moment they said hello and we started talking, I knew they were not from the Akron-Canton area. And I go, you're not from around here, are you? And with their thick accent, they said no. And I thought, I have heard that accent before. I said, you're from South Africa, aren't you? And they said, yes, we are. I thought your accent gave you away. I want to ask you something, church, this morning. Does your accent give you away? Does your speech give you away that you're a follower of Christ? Does your speech give you away that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Or have you blended into the crowd? Verse 60 tells us, just as Peter was speaking, what happens? The rooster crows, just as Jesus predicted. One of the most sobering verses in all of Scripture, eight words, eight words that cut Peter to the core is in this passage. One of the most sobering verses in all the Bible, Peter has just denied the Lord, who he said earlier, I will die for you. And look at what it says in verse 60. 61. Eight words. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter said, I will never deny you. I will go to the death for you. I will go to prison for you. And he has just denied the Lord three times. The cock-a-doodle-doo of the rooster is gone. And he turns, and Jesus is looking right at him from across the courtyard. It's kind of like when you go to a family reunion and you're a little kid. And, and you get to know some of these other nephews and nieces and cousins. And you have all day together and you're running around and you're having a great time. And, and there's just like desserts galore. And you find this chocolate cake and you're eating chocolate cake and somebody has a joke. It smears some on your face. And you're like, what? And so you decide, well, I'm going to smear some on your face. And before long, it's a full-fledged cake battle. And you're laughing, and you've got cake on your hands, you've got cake on your face, and you're having a great time, and the five of you are running around trying to smear cake on each other, and you turn, and from across the yard, you see mom and dad standing there. And they're looking right at you, as if to say, busted. You're busted. And you're standing there with cake on your face. This is how Peter felt when Jesus looked straight at him. And Peter remembers the, the words of Jesus, but he remembers them too late. He remembers them after he has sinned. He remembers the fact that Jesus said, uh, the rooster will crow uh, when you deny me three times. He remembers that. And the emotion, the emotion that must have coursed through his veins when he realized his denial of the one who's the giver of eternal life, he blew it. 
How many of you here have ever blown it? How many of you here have ever had an opportunity to be able to showcase God? How many of you have ever had an opportunity to follow close with the Lord? How many of you have ever had an opportunity to, to let your accent, your speech give you away and you blew it? You blew it. There's a lot of the disciple Peter in all of us here. And for now, all Peter can do is walk out and weep bitterly. Just as Jesus warned Peter that he would deny him three times, he also promised him in verse 32 that though his faith may fail, the Lord would restore him when he turned back. Peter will restore, or Peter will be restored, but not without heartache, not without pain. Now listen for a second. There's two sides to brokenness. The one side is restoration. There's something about coming back to Jesus. If we have drifted, if we've followed at a distance, there's something about being restored and coming back to Jesus, our Father who will, with open arms, allow us to come in. There's something so refreshing about that, that through the heartache and through the tears, Jesus welcomes us back. That's the one side of brokenness. The other side of brokenness is being reminded. Being reminded our entire life of how we had an opportunity to represent him and we didn't. How many times do you think throughout Peter's life, whenever he heard a rooster crow, it took him right back to that gut-wrenching time when he denied the Lord three times. And yet God desires to restore him. It says, and Peter went out and wept bitter bitterly. He is a broken and convicted man, not only because of his denial of Jesus, but also of the pride that led him to think that he could never deny Jesus. Can I just say something this morning to Mission View Church? Thank God for second chances. Amen? Oh, that was terrible. Thank God for second chances. Amen? Amen. God has provided a second, a third, a fourth chance. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he wants to restore us. And when you have followed Jesus at a distance, he is calling you back. And he wants to restore you. See, the, the whole story is not done about Peter. Yes, he's overconfident, but there will be one day when he is an overcomer. And he is bold for the Lord. This is a critical tipping point for Peter in his life. All four Gospels record Peter's denial. I, I tend to think that God puts this account in the four Gospels to help us to learn the hard lesson of what happens when we deny the Lord. So let's have some takeaway this morning. As you sit here on a Sunday morning and you evaluate your life, and you look at how God has used you, you determine whether or not you're following at a distance. You're determining whether or not you've been restored. You're, you're contemplating where your life is right now in Christ. And so three, three takeaways this morning. When we follow Jesus at a distance, we fail to confess Jesus for who he said he was. We failed to confess Jesus for who he said he was. Peter had the opportunity to confess his undying love to Christ. 
and declare who Jesus truly is, but he failed to do so. You know, I walked in, I walk into Manchester High School. I was there recently. I walked in there, and, and the first thing that you see when you walk in there is just a showcase of trophies. I mean, from an academic to sports to you name it, trophies galore. Probably at Hoover High School, they had the same thing. We have to ask the question, am I showcasing Christ? Just as someone will showcase all these trophies and all that they've done, am I showcasing Christ? Peter had an opportunity to confess Jesus for who he said he was. 1 John 2, 22 and 23 says, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The second, when we follow Jesus at a distance, we fail to proclaim Jesus before others. So maybe we confess Jesus in our heart, but we don't tell others about him. We don't proclaim who he is. I love Mission View because they're a missional church. It's not just about coming on a Sunday morning, but you will go out from here and you will be very missional in your neighborhood, in your workplace, where you work out, in the mall. Oh, yes, even the mall. You, you will be missional. But if we confess that we know Jesus in our heart, but we don't tell anyone about it, that's a form of denial. It happens in your workplace. So you're sitting in your workplace and somebody begins to bring up church and they begin to bring up Christianity and, and God has set the tea up for you. And yet you don't say anything. You're afraid. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Or maybe you have a couple that you're, you've invited out for dinner and uh, you're sitting there and all of a sudden everything starts to change. It changes towards spiritual things. It changes towards Christianity. It changes, and they're asking you questions. And you change the subject because you feel like you don't have enough to share. Or they might ask you a question about Leviticus. Yeah. So we don't say anything. We live in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward followers of Christ. We are painted as morons. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to the person on your right or left and say, you're a moron for Jesus, okay? But we're painted as morons. Okay, so fine. But don't let that get in the way of an opportunity we have to share about Christ. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. The, the, the proper response to represent Christ is not out of fear or intimidation, but boldness and love as we share him before others. Confess him that you know him for who he is and, and proclaim him. When we don't confess him and we don't proclaim him, we will follow at a distance. There's a third one. When we follow Jesus at a distance, we fail to live out Christ in our daily lifestyle. Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do people know that you're living a life for Jesus Christ by your lifestyle? 
Are you intentional living out your life for Christ in your words, your actions, and your attitude? This shows if our trust in Christ has truly transformed us from the inside out. So if our lifestyle looks like nothing has changed, then something's not right. The words may acknowledge Jesus, but do your works deny him? Oh, I know Christ. But you're following at a distance because the very things that you do, the very things that you say, the very attitudes that you have doesn't represent Christ at all. Many of you will, will look at these, this passage and these points today and you may find yourself saying, that's where I'm at. I, I, I feel in many ways I am following at a distance. But there is good news. God desires to restore us back to himself. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just like Peter, restoration is promised to those who return and draw near to him. So here's the question this morning. What do you want more than anything else? Just like Peter, there he is in the courtyard denying the Lord three times. If we were to ask Peter that question, if we were to say to him, Peter, what do you want more than anything else? As he walks out of that courtyard and he's, as he's weeping bitterly, what would he respond? How would he respond? I think he would say, I want to be restored. So in 1937, there was a man whose last name was Mulligan. He was a member of the Wingfoot Golf Club in Winchester, New York. He decided to go out one day with his three friends. They got to the first tee. He teed up the ball and he hit it and miserably hit it to the right. Terrible shot. Without thinking, he got another golf ball out, teed it up, and was ready to hit it again when his friends said, what are you doing? He called it a correction shot. He said, I'm hitting a correction shot. To which they laughed and said, you, you can't do that. Well, he did it anyway. And throughout the time on the golf course, they kept referring to his shot as a mulligan. You've heard of that if you're a golfer. It's a do-over. It's a second chance. And I wonder how many this morning need a mulligan. How many of us this morning, I need a do-over? My life is a wreck. Things are not well in my marriage. I have followed Christ at a distance at best. And I am a wreck. And I need a mulligan. I need to be restored. All we have to do is to come before our great creator with arms open and to say, Lord, I am not where I should be. But by the grace of God, you will enable me to be where I need to be. I need a do-over. I need a mulligan so that I can be restored and have that closeness that Jesus desires for me more than anything else. When we find ourselves drawing close to him, it's then, like Peter, that we go from being overconfident to an overcomer.
Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we're all over the board, I'm sure. Lord, this morning, there are some of us that are following so close to you, it's not even funny. We're in your word, we're praying, uh, we're, we're sharing our faith, we're giving, we're coming to church, all of these things. But I wonder about the person who's here today that would say, man, I feel so much like Peter these days. I, I, I haven't confessed him for who he is. Lord, I haven't, I haven't proclaimed you as I know I should. I, maybe I'm not even living the lifestyle that your word demands and asks of me in the Bible. Lord, restore me. Bring me back. And just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there's somebody in here today that says, you know what, that's exactly where I'm at. I have been following at a distance for way too long. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. If you're there this morning, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand up this morning. Say, man, I've been following at a distance for way too long. Thanks. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help all of us, those of us that have raised our hands, those of us that are sitting, Lord, that we would be overcomers, that we would not deny you, but that we would showcase Jesus Christ for all the world to hear, North Canton and beyond, that we would live for you because it is the most important thing. What do you want more than anything else? I trust it's the honor the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' name, amen.